2, because that's how important this really is. Genesis chapter 1, everybody there? Let me read the first four verses and then see where we're going to go after that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Note that. The Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. Verse 3, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light and saw that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. Father, we thank you for your word that is always changing our lives. It's living, it's active, it's powerful. We ask God that as we quiet ourselves before you today, that you would speak to us. Let there be no hindrance. And show us who you are. Let us know you, God, a side of you, an aspect, a characteristic of you that perhaps we've not seen. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, last week we launched into a series entitled, Hello, My Name is God. And over the next several weeks we are going to be studying who God is, who he declares himself to be throughout scripture, and the various names that he uses to try to reveal himself to us. This study will help us understand who God really is. And once we understand who God is, we can understand what he wants to do for us. Does anybody want to know God more than you know him today? Because I've got news for you, church. You don't know God. You don't know him fully. You don't know all about God. There are aspects and characteristics. There are parts of God, sides of God, if you will, that you don't really know. I don't really know. But I want to study closely the names of God and find out who God is. When we understand his name, we understand his person. God is a person. A person with purpose. Understanding his name will reveal his purpose. And I would rather God's purpose be unfolded in my life than my purpose. Amen? We understand the name of God. We understand the plan of God. And I want to walk on the path that is the plan of God. How about you? We looked at why we should study God's name. First of all, because we are commanded. We're commanded to honor God's name. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain is still one of the top ten in God's commandments and it still applies today. How many believe in the Ten Commandments still today? 2013, I believe they're as, as vital today as they ever have been. We're commanded to honor God's name. Secondly, we study the names of God because we're compelled to praise God's name. I will praise you. I will bless you. We're studying the names of God because at times it may be a challenge to trust in his name. 
the third reason. We're challenged to trust in his name. Many times we will, just by human nature, we will try and trust in our own name, in somebody else's name, in, in material things. But how about we trust in the name of the Lord? Amen? As we do, we find that his name is excellent. Psalm 8 and 1. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. His name is excellent. It is perfect. It doesn't need one thing added to it. His name is good. Amen? Psalm 52, 9, I will praise you forever because you've done it. And in the presence of your saints, I will wait on your name. Why? Because your name is good. We will discover that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Proverbs 18, 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and they are safe. In your time of trouble, call on the name of the Lord. In your time of temptation, run to the name of the Lord. You'll find security. You'll find safety. You'll find a refuge there. His name is a strong tower. I gave you three foundational principles last week, and I want to review you on these. If you have your notes, you're, you can cheat, actually, by going back to your notes. You can reference last week's notes. Let me see how many people are really listening. How many people really want to grow in God? Does anybody remember what the first foundational principle was? Lift your hand if you, if you have that. Why are we studying the names of God? Or what are the first, the first foundational principle? Who had their hand up? Okay. Diane? There we go. To reveal his person. Thank you. Revealing who he is. I want you to keep these in mind because we're going to be studying the various names of God. And you can go back to these principles. Why did God call himself this? The first reason is because he wants to reveal to us who he is. Revealing his person. Second foundational principle. Mike. In order to relate to his people... God wants a relationship with me. God wants a relationship with you. And his name is what connects us. Think of his name as a connector. When God says that he is Jehovah Jireh, what is he trying to tell us, church? Jehovah Jireh is the God that does provide. And just as Jehovah Jireh provided in the Old Testament, he's still Jehovah Jireh today. And he's able to provide for all of our needs today. So if you need something, you call on Jehovah Jireh. Building this relationship with us. What's the third foundational principle? Robert? Do you have it? Uh, uh, Cindy? Third foundational principle to keep in mind as we study, it is to release. Somebody say release. release. Woo. Release his promises to us. I don't know about you, but every promise that God has for me, it is for me, and I want it. Amen? So as we get to know God, we also get to know what His promises are and the release of those promises. If you need peace in your life, call on Jehovah Shammah. 
He is peace, the God of peace, the God that will release peace and give you peace in your home, in your relationships, in your heart and in your mind. Amen. So today we go back to the very beginning. Literally, we go back to the beginning of the Bible. Genesis 1.1. The beginning of man's existence. And we discover God speaking of himself for the very first time. The very first mention of God's name is here in Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1. It is Elohim. The very first mention of God's name, Elohim. If you're taking notes, and I hope that you will, this is a good habit to start. Habit has a negative connotation, and there's lots of people that get in trouble for wrong habits, but I believe that you can break wrong, wrong habits, and you can start some new habits, and 2013 would be a good year to start some new habits, and here's a good one. Write down some things. Take some notes, because I believe you'll retain more of what you write down and hear as opposed to what you only hear. Take some notes. Elohim, for those who are taking notes today, it means eternal creator. Elohim, eternal creator. I discovered as I studied for this, it's the most frequently used name of God in the Old Testament, used more than 2,500 times. That's a lot. And in fact, here in chapter 1 of Genesis, it's used 32 times. God is clearly trying to introduce himself properly to us, isn't he? Scholars believe that Elohim, by the way, is the plural of El. El is the singular for God. And you will see El attached to other names. El Shaddai, the Almighty One. El Elyon is another. And we will study, study this out. But Elohim is the plural for God. And it's the only name that is plural for God. All other names that God used are singular. Elohim, used here at the beginning, is plural, which immediately said to me that God is a triune God. Here at La Palma Christian Center, we being Assemblies of God, we believe that God is one God existent in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the Blessed Trinity. Do I have any Trinity people here today? You believe in God, one God existent in three persons. This is what I believe. This is what this church believes. This is what our denomination believes because we believe it comes in line with the Bible. And from the very beginning, isn't it just like God to make things clear and let us know it is we three, three persons, one God creating. In the beginning, God was three in one and eternal in nature. It led me to the New Testament, however, to John chapter one and verse number one, which also starts in the beginning. And it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. How many understand who we're talking about here when we start talking about the word being God? This is Jesus. And in case you need a, 
little further clarification. Just go a few verses more to verse number 14. And it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In the beginning was God. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning the Word became flesh. And this speaks of the prophesied birth of the Messiah. And also, I told you to take note of verse number 2, which tells us that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So it's very clear to me today that this eternal God was existing in three persons even from the very beginning. So as I said to you a moment ago, I'm going to do a lot of teaching today. I can't help but preach, but I'm also going to teach today. So I, I want you to, to take the, the, the good notes that you desire and deserve. Uh, let's break this down. Elohim, Elohim is eternal creator. So we'll just start with the eternal part of Elohim. Elohim and eternity. So bring up, bring up verse number one, and let's just, let's just get to the point of the matter here today. In the beginning, God. Let's just start right there. You don't have to go on. In the beginning, God. God has always been. God will always be. He is eternal. He is God, and God is. Thanks, Marlene. Where you at, Marlene? They were probably here for the first service. Oh, I love that song. Your, your daughter can just get up on that song and sing that song and wear that song out. I love God is. Amen. All that I need, God is. And he's just always been and he will always be. So what is God? Well, I did a little breakdown of the word Elohim. And so you can write this acrostic down if you'd like. Maybe help you remember what God is. He is E, eternal. We'll talk a lot about that today, so let me move on. He is L, loving, a love that is so wide and so vast and covers all of my mistakes and all of my sin. We serve an eternal and loving God. He is O, I put it like this, omni-everything. <laughs> Because he's omnipotent. How many understand that God is omnipotent? It means that he's all-powerful. He holds all power. He is all power. That is omnipotent. No one stronger than our God. He's omniscient, all-knowing. The God that I preach to you today about knows everything. He knows the past. He knows the future. And he knows the present. He knows right now. He's also omnipresent. That's why I said omni-everything. There's a few omnis that he is. He's omnipresent. That means he's everywhere at the same time. This could make you pull your hair out, couldn't it, Pete? See, this is where people get hung up, though. Pastor, this is where people get hung up. I'm sure you saw this uh, in, your, in your days of pastoring. People try to figure out who God is. And where'd he come from? How about that one? And, and would you be honest with me today? Has anybody ever thought or maybe even said out loud, I wonder where God came from? Thank you, Jessica. Thank you, Dodie. How many have ever thought, I wonder where God came from? You ever had a conversation with somebody? I have because people want to ask me. They think that's where they can pin me. 
It's like a wrestling move or something. You better watch out. I'm just telling you. I may not be physically fit, but I'm trying to get spiritually fit, and I know some moves of my own. And I can get right out. Elliot took wrestling for a while, and I'm, I was surprised at all the moves. I, I'm not physically fit, but I'm trying to get myself spiritually fit. So I can go around or two with somebody that tries to say, well, where, where'd God come from? And I can tell them this. You ready? I don't know. How about that? And I say it, oh, guys, I have all confidence in saying that because I know that God just said he was. Hallelujah. I don't have to know where he came from. I don't have to know who his mama was or who his daddy was. God just said I was and I am that I am. I've always been and I will always be. That's all right with me. The Bible declares he's always been. God said, in the beginning, I was already present and accounted for. I love what I discovered here. One word turned things for me a little bit, uh, and I, I had a revelation. Can you bring up John? Um, help me, Jackie. You're already there. Thank you. One, one. Look at this. In the beginning was. This was a revelation for me, Cindy. In the beginning was. There's something already on this side of the beginning. See? Because when I talk about the beginning, when the Bible talks about the beginning, when God talks about the beginning, He's not talking about His beginning. He's talking about your beginning. He's talking about my beginning. He's talking about the earth's beginning, mankind's beginning. In the beginning for earth, in the beginning for he heaven and the, the, the sun, moon, and stars, in the beginning for the universe, but not for him, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was already existent. God was already existent right there. At that point in time, God was already there. Hallelujah. Was the Word already there, already existent. If God wanted us to know his origin, I believe he would have told us. He does not tell us all he tells us. See, Moses tried to get to this a little bit, I think. You know, he's, he's at this burning bush and having this experience with God, and God saying, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Go tell my people that I've sent you to lead them out of bondage. And he says, well, God, who should I tell him sent me? Or who are you, God? Where did you come from, God? I'm reading a little bit between the lines. I understand. But I think Moses is trying to figure something out here, too. You're not alone. I'm not alone. Moses tried to figure out a thing or two about who God is. And you know what God told him? He said, you just tell him that Yahweh sent you. Yahweh, I am that I am. Yahweh translates the self-existent one, the one who has always been, the one who will always be. That's who we trust today. That's who we believe in today. E.V. Hill, the, the great preacher of old that's gone to be with the Lord, he preached a sermon entitled, God is, at a, a, a Promise Keepers event years ago. He repeated it over and over and over throughout the entirety of his sermon, saying it loud, saying it strong, saying it soft. And at the end of his sermon, he had 25,000 men standing to their feet, chanting in unison, God is, God is, God is. 
Settle this in your heart today. Settle this in your spirit today. Make up in your mind today. I believe that God is. He's always been and he will always be. When we believe that God is, let me tell you something. It changes everything. It changes everything because it means everything. If God is, then bad can be made good. If God is, sins can be forgiven. Chaos can be brought to order. If God is, there's hope for the hopeless. There's help for the helpless. There's healing for sick bodies. If God is, then everything in life has meaning and purpose, including your life. And I believe today that God is, and there's meaning and purpose for you. If God isn't, we're in trouble. We're messed up big time. A little boy was saying his prayers at night. He said, Dear God, please take care of my mommy and my daddy, my sisters and my brother, my puppy and my kitty. Oh, and God, please take care of yourself because if anything happens to you, we're in trouble. God declares himself to be Elohim, eternal. He's always been God, and he'll always be God. Elohim, eternal creator. Let's look at this portion. Elohim and creation. Bring back up verse number one and add one word, if you don't mind. In the beginning, God created. Immutable. Oh, I forgot to give you the full-out spelling. I got so excited. My wife's keeping me online. Tried to give you an acrostic, and I got chasing a rabbit and got blessed over here. All right. Eternal, loving. I stopped off at Omni, didn't I? Because I got so excited about everything that God is. I'm sorry, church. He's holy, immutable, and majestic. And I can't... Elaborate on those last three. Boy, you'll have to get the 815 message for that. Leave that up just a moment longer. Sorry about that, church. I'm just excited about who God is. I trust that you're excited about who God is. Amen. That excites me when I get to talking about God and who he is and all that he can do. Amen. Y'all caught up? Point number two, we're going to talk about the creative part of who God is as Elohim, eternal creator. In the beginning, God created. Elohim's claim, he claims that he created. And for the believer in Christ, the believer in Elohim, that should settle it. It does for me. By the way, this word created, it translates in the Greek. Now, I don't really know Greek. Well, I know a little Greek. He owns a deli on Catella, but... Uh, sorry. It translates bara, B-A-R-A. That's the Greek for created right here. And it means to form, to fashion, to produce, to create. And that's what our God, Elohim, claims that he did. 
God took nothing, watch this, and created something. It's not a sleight of the hand either. It's not some magician's trick. God literally took nothing and created something. And the something that God made was so perfect. It needed nothing. In fact, let's just take the first thing that he created. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It was without form and, and void and darkness on the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Look at this. God said in verse 3, let there be light. I want to focus on that portion right there. Let there be light. And there was light. I appreciate this about God because I like the light. There are portions of the northern hemisphere that during certain times of the year, it is completely dark. Or perhaps just an hour or two, or maybe up to six hours, depending on the time of the year, they may have a little bit of light. But there are parts of the calendar year that it will be completely dark from what would be sunup to sundown. But there's no sunup, it's just all sundown. I don't know about you, but that would depress me. I like the rising of the sun. And I love the heat of the day and the warmth of the sun. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And then he looked at his creation, which was so perfect. And he smiled. And he said, that's good. It is good. It goes through and it tells all that God created. And then it says, he looks and says, it is good because what God creates isn't second shelf. It's not the bargain basement stuff. It's not on the clearance rack. How many like to shop the clearance rack? That's the first place I go. I go to the clearance rack. I'm no idiot. Not always. <laughs> No, no, no. God, God creates and it's just perfect. It's perfection. It's grade A. It's, it's just the very best that could be done. And God says it's good. He's creating something from nothing. He created mankind. Probably the best of his creations. Why do I say this? Because the Bible says when he created man, he created man how? Say it, Debbie. He created mankind in his own image which says that this is the most special of all creations, making us, forming us in his own image. So we are here by divine design. There are no accidents in this room. Turn and tell your neighbor you're here on purpose. Come on, tell your other neighbor, God did a good job on you. Richard, God made you just like you are, my friend, and I think that God did a good job on you. He didn't make an accident. Here is, we, here is Richard, assisted by a wheelchair. He was born with cerebral palsy. But I believe that God did a good job when he created you. I think one day you won't need the wheelchair and, and God will rearrange some things, but God created you. You are not a mistake, nor is anybody else in the room. Josh. Andrew, Rachel, John, you guys are perfect. 
Just get in line with God's plan, not your own. Joe, you are perfect, my friend. My armor bearer, my, my, my buddy. And I love you. Not a mistake, Mom. Not a mistake, Dad. This is all part of God's design. Divine design. Amen? I read this article, this story, actually, when I was putting this together. Let me share it with you. It asked the question, how vast is the universe? Pretend the earth is the size of a grape. In proportion, the sun is the size of a beach ball 163 yards away. Jupiter is the size of a grapefruit about five blocks away. The nearest star, watch this, would be 24,000 miles away, and the Milky Way would be 55 billion miles away if the Earth was the size of a grape. So do the math. Mind-blowing, that's how vast our universe is. If we process, excuse me, if we possessed an atlas of our galaxy and devoted one page to each star in the Milky Way, the atlas would run more than 10 million volumes of 10,000 pages each. It would take a library the size of Harvard's to even house the atlas and to flip through at a rate of one page per second would require over 10,000 years. That's how vast our universe is. That's how big our universe is. And that's how big our God is. Why do we struggle to understand that there is an Elohim, an eternal creator? Even the heavens understand this. Psalm 19, 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Why? Because it requires faith. Faith is required in order to believe in Elohim, the eternal creator. Some say, well, then, does that mean we throw out science? No. I'm not saying choose faith over science. In fact, I believe that any scientific mind, if they truly look at the facts, they will understand and they will come to the conclusion that there is a creator. The universe understands that there's a creator. The sun, moon, and stars understand that there's a creator. The mountains and the seas understand that there is a creator. The birds of the air, the beasts of the field, they all understand that there's a creator. So why does mankind struggle so hard to believe and understand that there's a creator? You see, we're born to believe in something. Did you know that? It's built within you. We will believe in something. Even the atheist who says, I don't, or the agnostic, I don't believe in anything. You believe in that. <laughs> you can't get out of it. You can't say, I don't believe in anything, because saying, I don't believe in anything, you're believing in that. Because we're created to believe in something. We will believe in something. I promise you. Let me take uh, just a couple of what people are believing in. Some people are believing in. Some people, for instance, they believe in the theory of evolution. I say theory because evolution is not science. It's just theory. It's an idiotic, stupid theory. 
Somebody up there believe in this? I think it's idiotic. I think it's stupid, and I'll say it again. Idiotic and stupid. Stupid and idiotic. It takes more faith to believe in evolution than it does to, to believe in creation. And by the way, this bugs me. Let me get it off my chest. Evolution doesn't even abide by the rules of science. You see, the scientific method holds to four principles that all must pass by in order to pass the test of science. Number one is observation. Number two, hypothesis. Number three, the third principle that must pass the mustard, if you will, to be considered and classified scientific, it is testing. And the fourth principle is repetition. These four are the four principles that everything scientific must, must pass. So let's, let's try it ourselves. How about a little experiment, experiment here today? Is that all right? Uh, okay, so the first principle, observation. Did anybody see evolution happen? No. Fail. They failed the first one. Okay, hypothesis. Did someone come up with a theory? Yes, some idiot called Darwin came up with a theory that millions of people have just jumped on board and believed. So, okay, check number two, the second principle. Test number three, uh, principle number three, the testing. Can it be tested? No, this can't be tested. And so it can't be repeated. Can you repeat the process of evolution? So they fail on three of the four principles required for it to even be a scientific method. It is a flawed theory. Geneticist Dr. Willem O'Neill said, it's becoming increasingly apparent that, the evo that evolutionism is not even a good scientific theory. No wonder then Psalm, 41, uh, Psalm 14 and 1 says, the fool has said in, a, in his heart that there is no God. Some want to believe in evolution, which draws back to even a further belief. It is, well, it's called the Big Bang Theory. You all remember the Big Bang Theory? Here's what they would like us to believe. An explosion created a living microorganism that fought for survival, eventually turning into a complex single-cells creature that over two billion years became a vertebrae that began to swim in a primordial soup, turning into a tadpole that turned into a frog that then turned into a fish, then it turned into an amphibian that turned into a reptile, which turned into a mammal, that turned into a monkey, that must have bumped his head on something, straightened him up, and turned him into man. That's what they want us to believe from goo to the zoo to you. But I've got news for you today. My uncle is not a monkey. My grandpa is not the Cro-Magnum man. And my grandma is not Lucy. I am fearfully and wonderfully made by Elohim, the eternal creator. Does anybody in this room believe that today? Come on, does anybody believe that today? Hey, hallelujah. 
fearfully and wonderfully made by an eternal creator who loves us and has a plan for us. The Darwin theory of evolution is so flawed, it's got more holes in it than Swiss cheese and stinks worse than Limburger cheese. And I found many are jumping this ship. Many are abandoning this flawed theory. For instance, molecular biologist Michael Denton said these words ultimately, the Darwinian theory of evolution is nothing more nor less than the great cosmogenic myth of the 20th century. And I love this quote coming up, Robert Jastrow. He's a scientist at NASA and a professor of geophysics at Columbia University. He said, for the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance and is about to conquer the highest peak as he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for years. Hallelujah. Oh, I like that. We've already figured it out because we believe that God is. He's the God that's always been. He's the God that will always be. And he is the one that created us. That's what we believe. Paul Gentuso was a budding evolutionist until he studied the human hand in medical school. He said in anatomy class, we dissected the human hand. In investigating it, I removed the skin, then isolated the individual tendons and muscles and worked my way down to the bone. The tendons of the hand are aligned in tendon sheaths like self-lubricating pulleys, allowing the hand to work tireless, noiseless, and in effortless fashion. It was perfectly designed to carry out all the work it was called to do, everything from lifting a small object to lugging a tree trunk. This experience so deeply affected Gentuso that he completely changed his mind about the existence of God. He wrote, in seeing how each tendon was perfectly aligned along the axis of each finger and how each finger was moved in coordinated fashion when tugged by individual tendons, it became obvious to me that there was a creator who intelligently designed and created man. This was the first time in my adult life that I could say with assurance that a creator existed. It was a spiritual experience for me I went from doubt to certainty based upon seeing God's creation. Look at your hand. Come on, just look at your hand. Look at the back side of your hand. Look at the front side of your hand. Look at, look at the intricacies and the detail. Look at your thumbprint. Look at your fingerprint. Each one unique. Each one di different. All by the design of an eternal creator that loves us. Gentuso later became a missionary physician and a resident doctor in Nashville. Evolution says there is no God. And if there is no God, there's no distinction between right and wrong. There's no distinction between good and evil. Morality is an illusion. Truth is relative, completely left to the discretion of each individual. If there is no God, there's no moral or ethical laws. There's no absolute compass guiding our principles, the principles for our society. If there is no God, 
creation didn't occur. Elohim does not exist. There's no such thing as sin. And therefore, no need for a savior. If there is no God, no Elohim, the cross and the resurrection are simply a myth. No Elohim means no Emmanuel. We in this room, however, we believe in Elohim. We believe in the eternal creator that said, let there be, and there was. We believe in one that's always existed and exists now. And in, even when we are gone, he will still be Elohim. He introduced himself to us at the very beginning. It was as if God was saying, hello, my name is God. Hello, my name is Elohim. I would like to get to know you. Elohim, eternal, the God that's always been and will always be. Elohim, creator created the, the universe, the heavens and the earth, the sun, moon, and stars, created all of mankind. Today, God's revealing himself to us as Elohim, the eternal creator. And perhaps the greatest of his creations could happen right here, right now. What I'm saying is God's specialty is creating a clean heart. <laughs> the psalmist David said, create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit in me. This is his specialty, taking a black, sin-covered heart, making it clean. I want you to bow your heads all over this room. We're attempting to get to know God and who He is, who He declares Himself to be. And this eternal Creator that said, let there be light, and there was, that formed the heavens and the earth and created mankind. He desires today to create a clean heart in you. If you're here and you desire God to clean your heart, you know that you need your heart cleansed. I want you to raise your hand and put it right back down. Thank you. Yes, yes, amen. Hands going up all over this, all over this sanctuary. Anybody else? Now remember this, I'm not talking about the lost necessarily. David was a, a hard follower after God. And in the end of things, he was known as a man after God's own heart, but he made a lot of mistakes and he got his heart dirty, his mind dirty and his, his whole body, hands, everything dirty. And he needed a clean heart. 
Is there anyone else here? If you've not lifted your hand and need to, do it now. Thank you. Come on. Amen. Amen. Create in me a clean heart, God. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. Jesus, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Father, you've seen the hands of men and women in this room, students in this room, asking you to cleanse them and create in them a clean heart. I thank you that the blood of Jesus covers all of our wrong and all of our mistakes and all of our sins. And I ask now that you cover and forgive. If you've lifted your hand and you're asking God to create a, a clean heart in you, it's imperative that you ask him to forgive you. Only you can do that. I can't ask God to forgive you of your sins. You must ask God to forgive you. You can do that right where you are. Just whisper a prayer even to God now. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. Because if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Let me ask just one more thing, head still bowed. Is there anybody here that has not made a commitment to follow Christ and believe in God? If you would like to build a relationship with God and start a new life with God, today could be that day. But you must take steps to God. He is waiting for you here. But you must acknowledge that you need Him and you must ask Him to come in and connect with you. If you've never made this commitment to God but would like to today, asking Jesus into your heart, lift your hand and let me pray for you before we go. Anyone? Hallelujah. Amen. I'm going to ask if you've lifted your hand to take a very courageous step. I would like to pray with you at this altar. In a moment, I'm going to ask the entire congregation to stand. And as you stand, I want you to come from where you are and come to this altar and let us lead you in a prayer of commitment. Pastor Moses, lead us in this chorus. Everyone standing. And if you've raised your hand to accept Christ, come now and we will pray with you. Come now, let us pray with you. Oh God. Amen. And renew a right spirit Hallelujah. Me. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, God, that you have brought to us. I pray that we would guard it in our hearts. Father, we thank you that we can go to you and look to you 
because you are, you've always been, and you will continue to be. Father, we thank you for the hope that that gives us. Father, as we think about who you are, Father, we're, we are full of hope and joy and peace, knowing that you are in control. Father, all fear is gone and expelled as we put our trust in you. Father, we thank you. I pray that you would be with us this week. Keep us safe. Help us to be a light. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen.